My name is the Reverend Sean Amos, and this is The Cause of It All. On this first episode of The Cause of It All, I speak with Alex Dixon. Alex is a producer, songwriter, musician, label owner, and he's the grandson of Willie Dixon, who is the Gershwin of the blues, the preeminent American songwriter who contributed so much to the Great American Songbook. Alex and I talk about what it's like to be raised by his granddad, talk about legacy, uh, how he carries uh, his grandfather's music and, and legacy forward, and he tells a story about a certain king of pop who tried to steal Willie's music catalog from him, or get it for a steal, I should say. I covered three of Willie's songs on our album, The Cause of It All, which comes out May 21st, and it's a show of my love, deep love of, of Willie. And thankfully, Alex uh, dug our covers, or at least the one he's heard so far, so that was a, a relief. <laughs> anyway, enjoy this conversation with Alex Dixon on The Cause of It All. Hey. Brother Dixon. How you doing? How are you, man? All right. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Meet you too, man. Thanks for making time. No worries. No worries. Hi, Sean. It's Melissa. Hey, Melissa. I'm in the background. Nice to uh, meet your voice. <laughs> I'm not camera ready, so. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're recording this, but we're only using the audio, so not the, oh, no okay. yeah, the, the video is not being used. Where, where are you guys located? Are you, are you in California? Yeah, we're in the Bay Area. What part? Uh, Dublin, California. Right on. Nice. By Oakland. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm familiar. Okay. I'm a, I'm, okay. I'm a former LA native. Where at? Where'd you live? I lived all over, man. I was born in New York, and I moved to LA when I was a baby, so I grew up in Hollywood. And then I... Oh, I went to Burbank High, so... You went to where? Burbank High. Oh, yeah, right on. Yeah. So I, I went to private yeah. schools. I went to, I went to Curtis School. I went to Brentwood School. Went to Beverly Hills High for a second. Oh, okay. And then I, I moved to Hawaii for a little while. My parents were divorced, so I moved to Hawaii and then came back to uh, L.A. And then I went back east for uh, school and college and then came back to L.A. And I, okay. I've been in Texas when did you live, When did you live in L.A.? You lived in L.A. in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, I lived in L.A. from – I was born in 67. I'm a bit older than you. So I, was, I lived okay. there from 60 – late 67 until – let me think about this uh, – mid 80s and then i left to go to hawaii and then yeah so mid 80s and i came back again after college so i was back again like in the in the 90s and i stayed until three years ago and i just okay in texas you play music out in la too yeah 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 okay yeah i grew up in the business my my dad was an agent uh a booking agent at william morris and then uh okay and so uh yeah, I grew up around like musicians my whole life, and, and, and oh, I, I okay. play. I worked at labels. Yeah, <laughs> worked at labels. I worked at Rhino Records. I heard this label called Rhino. Yeah, uh, of course. I worked at Rhino. Did and there for a while, and then the guys who started Rhino spun off a label called Shout Factory, uh, and then I worked okay. over there as an A&R guy. And uh, I used to do like an uh, internship over at Bug Music. Oh, Bug, yeah, sure, like, sure. God, what's it gonna? Yeah, no, that's what we're that's what we're with right now with the uh, BMG. They turned to BMG. Yeah, what's his name? There's a guy who Hershland, David Hershland. Oh yeah, I know David Hershland. Yeah, yeah. That's my buddy. Yeah. He, he used to be our booking agent. Oh my god, funny. I've been David forever. He used to be our booking agent with uh Mike with Capus with Jelly Hooker and Mike Capus, yeah, sure. Mike will I know yeah, Mike forever too. Yeah, Mike well, I, I did yeah, I did um I did John Lee Hooker's box set with Zakia. When I was okay. in the shot factory that Mike worked on. Yeah, no, definitely. I, but Capus, I know Capus is I was like 10 years old. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So it's been a while. He, Jelly Hooker's a, a 
God, I saved my grandfather. We wouldn't, we'd have no gigs. And he'd like, let it open for him. Oh my God, you serious? With Robert Ray. Yeah. Right on. That was cool. I had a great talk with Zakia. Zakia did one of these interviews with me. Uh, she and I spoke okay. uh, was it week, last week or week before last. She's in Georgia now. Okay. And, oh yeah. And uh, She used to live in uh, the Bay Area. She lived near you. Yeah, forever. Yeah. She was actually just out there. She, cause she emailed me earlier this week. I sent her some, uh, some recordings of mine and, uh, and she just was visiting out in Oakland and just flew back to Georgia. Oh yeah. I saw your, uh, I heard your rendition of, uh, I'm ready. That, that passed Thank the, passed the Dixon test. All right. Yeah, it's cool, man. I like it. It's like, you know, it's like a simple version of everything. Like no, no crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's all those versions that have so much, uh, you know, bluster to them. And I just, I, I, I sort of like this idea of like, well, maybe he isn't ready. Maybe he's saying he's ready, but maybe he's not. <laughs> yeah. You know, just sort of like, yeah, but you did the breaks good. You did the breaks good. I mean, you'd be surprised how many people can play that song wrong. Well, that's the thing about blues, man. You know, everyone thinks they can play it because you know, it, yeah. it's one, four, five and, and people just don't respect yeah. the changes, man. You know, they don't respect yeah. the breaks. They don't respect the changes. And that, that's the whole thing. <laughs> I went through so many different guys and it's like, now I'm at the point now where, I just work with the guys I, I know I can, I can trust. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've had issues who guys coming in, they don't respect the, the music. And then I'm like telling them like, you know, you have to have a kind of a certain feel with it. And they think it's just like, you know, they hear like the Steve Ray Vaughn stuff. And I love Steve Ray Vaughn, but they hear that. And then they just become like, everything's supposed to sound like that. And I'm like, and I'll mention some guy like Johnny Shine or like old blues guy. They don't know who they don't know who they are. Yeah, it's true, man. It's true. Yeah. And I feel like an old guy. I'm 45, and I'm like, and it's funny when people talk to me and they're like, "You're 45," and I'm like, "Yeah, but I was raised by my grandparents." But yeah, I knew Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. I'm like, God, I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are old. <laughs> well, that, you know, this album that was sort of why I wanted to get across. I wanted to sort of channel, you know, the Sonnies and Brownies and like in the early Buddy Guy, Junior Wells duo stuff because that duo thing is sort yeah. of a dying part of the blues. It is. You know, there's, it like, is. there's like solo artists and the guitar heroes, and there's still you know the harp players and blues bands but these sort of great duos like sunny and sunny and brownie like you don't see blues duos like that anymore i think that i i know my uh my grandfather did that a little bit with um uh, memphis slim oh wow yeah yeah and right they, they did the they i mean they were crazy they went to like from chicago to new york with no gigs <laughs> driving in a car to in pretend and just going out there trying to get gigs in, in new york that was crazy that's badass <laughs> Yeah, I, I, the car is breaking down, and all these guys are getting calling their friends for money. But I mean, they went to a state, drove across states with no gigs, just making up as they go along, and a big, and a big upright bass tied to a station wagon. That's crazy. <laughs> That's funny, man. I don't think of him like that. You know, I, I think your grandfather is, you know, he's like the one guy in that scene who like really had together, like had his business, you know, together, had his act together, and, and for some reason, like my vision of him is, 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 is not being as um rough and tumble or, or, or like, or like spontaneous like that. No, he was, I mean, I, he was still black in America trying to get his music, you know, played and he could, he understood that blues was not get really accepted in America. Yeah. He had to go overseas to make his, his mark. And he just got kind of like lucky that some of those old, some of those young guys that, he talked to, came back to America singing his songs. He was like, finally. But he wasn't making any money with, you know, the Hollywood from Muddy Waters. They, was, they weren't making any money. He had to go overseas and pull it off. And the Rolling Stones had to come back and do a 
Lure Rooster. Yeah, it's kind of the same now. I mean, I go to Europe, you know, before COVID, you know, twice a year. It's 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 the only place to really make a living. He knew about the business, but then at the same time, like I would ask him questions like, you know, why don't you just leave chess and don't don't, don't deal with those guys anymore? And he's like, Well, they had the ability to just kind of like cut me off at the time, hmm. stop me from playing music altogether. Wow. So he went to Cobra. And then Chess bought Cobra. So he had, he couldn't really leave. But then when he finally decided to leave, you know, he started to, you know, learn more about the business and publishing and writer's royalties. But back then, it was like a dark secret. I mean, nobody knew anything. No, for that. sure, man. People hanging people off of balconies and stuff. You know, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, think about the think about the Cobra. You heard of Cobra Records, right? Oh, of course, man. Of course. Think about the guy, Eli, who owned Cobra. I mean, he, like, disappeared. Nobody know where he went. Just disappeared. <laughs> there's mafia stuff, man. I mean, it was just full-out yeah. mafia stuff. Yeah, he didn't know what happened. He just came. He went to the studio with Otis Rush and the uh, buddy guy, those guys, and came back, and the guy was gone. <laughs> <laughs> never saw him again <laughs> so you're a kid so you're a kid i mean so i mean how did you end up with living with your, your, your grandparents i mean what, what, and all right so my mom is the oldest daughter of willie and marie dixon which is like my grandmother yeah and my grandmother my mom had me at a young age and she got sick like a mental sickness my mom had mental illness my mom had a schizoaffective disorder my mom had bipolar they didn't know what it was back in the 80s you know i mean like you know so i was living with my grandparents then we moved to california uh like 84 so like 12 or 10 or 12 or yeah i was like 10 and we were out and we went to glendale california which is nobody was black at all in this whole city and still not that's mainly armenians out there yeah it's pretty well it wasn't but before armenians were even there so we were there and then you know all we had in the house was a piano in the house and that's all we had and then we're you know we're doing gigs to get all the furniture and everything like that and people would come over to the house and they're like talk to my grandfather like i thought you'd be a rich man from the led zeppelin stuff and he's like what are you talking about and he didn't know some of the things that were going on with the Zeppelin thing until one of my aunts came over to the house and was like, hey, you ever heard this song? This is your song. You need you need love. And we were listening to it like, I never heard that song before. And then he's the one that said, that's my song. I knew, that, I, I knew I mean, famously, he took on Zeppelin and, and, and won that publishing. But I, I, thought it was, I, thought, I thought it happened earlier. I didn't know it was so late. No, well, the Zeppelin guys were like friends of ours. And they kept saying, oh, Zeppelin stole one of your tunes when we go on the gigs and everything. And But he was saying, oh, no, they did um, Bring It On Home and... I can't quit you, baby. They pay for that. And they're like, no, it's another song because a whole lot of love, you need love, was never released right. in America. So they had to hear it overseas somewhere from, a, I think, a band called was Steve Marriott. Oh, uh, um, Humble Pie? Was Humble Pie? No, it was um, another band, some, uh, The Face, Small Faces. Oh, yeah, Small Faces, of course, right? Small Faces. Yeah, yeah, they did it first. And then then uh, Zeppelin did it, but we didn't know anything about it. Unreal. So you're a kid like living with your grandparents, which is sort of a trip yeah. unto itself, right? I mean, that's that's a big yeah. age age difference, right? It, it, it happens a lot in Chicago. Yeah. All right, <laughs> <laughs> it does. And Korean families too. I'm I'm dating a, a Korean yeah. woman, and, and and her grandmother raised her. Yeah, it, it's, it happens a lot in Chicago because you just live live with your grandparents. You know, everybody's in the in the same house. Yeah, for sure. And and so, at, w- at what point did? did music into the picture i mean you you what, what point did you realize like not only is my granddaddy play music but my dad my granddad's like an amazing <laughs> blues musician well so we started to play music in chicago yeah and it was a old blues guy if, if i ever get to meet you in person i'll let you hear some of these tapes i have oh, I love that. of an old blues guy named uh 
Little Little Brother Montgomery, and I had all his like these, all these tapes they would do of them playing the Vicksburg Blues and all the stuff that they did back in like the '30s, wow. '40s, right? And he would come over the house and he was giving people lessons and the family older than me, my older uncles and everything. And I like literally was playing around on the piano with him. Like, oh, I want to learn how to play too at five years old. And then he like stopped everybody from playing and I had to play for two hours a day forever. Your grandfather. Yeah. Wow. But then he just like, and I was just done. I was playing and that was it. You know, I was playing piano. Right on. And then I started doing the whole blues in school thing with him. And and then we moved to California and he bought a piano for that. And before you know it, he was like, we're going to go and play these little blues clubs you know, music machine and you would go to schools and talk about different styles of blues. I would play like boogie woogie stuff. And so you, you know, were indoctrinated from day one. He's like, he had his, he was raised as, you know, superstitious. So he was like, Oh, maybe talent skipped the generation. So he would just uh. skip over. <laughs> <laughs> and before you know it, I'm, I'm playing piano, taking pictures and all that stuff. And I had the same manager he had. And it was, it was crazy like that. That's why I know Cap. Do you think he was being, I mean, how much of it was him, you know, being a, a, a parental figure and you know, this aspect of like, well, you know, you want your kid, your grandkid to be doing anything, right? To stay off the streets and to be yeah. safe. And, you know, so how much of it was him just yeah. being sort of a caretaker versus him wanting to, you know, pass on this this craft and, and, and this and this trade through you? Well, we spent a lot of time together mm -hmm. and we actually got along really well. So it's like funny sometimes when people talk to me about my grandfather and I'm like, we got along great. So it's no competition. And because like, someone out there mentioned his name a lot to me and I'm like, it's not like a big deal. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to compete. There's some... Some people don't want to hear about their father when they're trying to get their own identity. Sure. But to me, it's like I was playing with them. So it's I understand that you're going to mention him and, and about music. So it was, we just we bonded like that with music. It's kind of interesting because people call him legendary, the legendary Willie Dixon and everything now. But back then, we were looking at him as more of we're trying to hope his career starts up again. He, was, he wasn't having like a... The success that people thought he was having. Right, right. So you saw that even at early age that you 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 did you oh, yeah. knew his place in, in in musical history and you wanted to help him hold on to it or reclaim it to some degree. Well, so, yeah, because some of the people that we look at now that we revere, like Chuck Berry or you know Bo Diddley and all those guys, they were like regular dudes trying to get gigs. Oh yeah, we were talking to them and they were just like you know they just couldn't really understand how sometimes they didn't, they didn't get the, you know, the money. They got the fame without the money. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So I got in a little trouble when I was like 12 years old, messing around at school. And then the principal said, you got to go home, whatever. So we went to go see this movie, Back to the Future. Uh -huh. You know, the Chuck Berry scene, right? The Back to the Future, yeah, right? And Michael J. Fox doing the duck walk. We're, yeah, we're all laughing about it. And he thought they were trying to change history. Because he was like, no, I was, we recorded that in the studio. And he just couldn't get the whole deal. And I was like, you know what? He just thought, because they were getting screwed over so much. Yeah. So he was, but he wasn't bitter like some of the old blues guys, but he still didn't get his just due to maybe like the last couple of years of his life. And he would always tell us things like, when I'm gone, my music's going to be still around. And we were like, yeah, hope hope so. <laughs> we didn't know for sure. We were like, hope so. Somebody that's pretty famous offered to buy his catalog for like an obscene low price. And we were like, you should probably sell it. 
And he was like, are you crazy? Yeah, good for him. And we were like, and he's like, we didn't know any better. Sure. But now that we look back on it, we're like, oh my God, we would have made the dumbest deal ever. But that, that's so much, I mean, not only is that the story of the music business, it's the story of black America, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's, you know. Because, but it was a black guy who, it was a black famous person. Oh, that's horrible. It's even, it's even worse. You know, just, he wears one glove. Uh, oh, okay. Well, he was a, he was a shrewd dude. <laughs> Yeah, well, he, he was like, he offered us some something really stupid, actually, now I think about it. It wasn't even, it was a lot, it was really low. Wow, so. he should know better. I mean, that's yeah. that, that's not, that's <laughs> just respect, right? I mean, one thing to be like a shrewd businessman, it's another thing just, you know, respect. Yeah, well, he probably, you know, he probably wanted to just own it. And at the time, we were like, that's more than you ever made before. But we didn't think about, you know, how things were going to go yeah, 20 years down totally. the road. Totally, so. you never know, it's your life's work. And so how did yeah, that inform you? Know. I mean, so you, you learned, I mean, as, as you saw your grandfather, how he sort of navigated the, the music business and you, and you had exposure yeah. to all these other blues artists and seeing how yeah. they're navigating, you know, the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, how did it inform your opinion? Were, were, were you sort of, did you get paranoid? Did you not want nothing to do with it? And what, what's your own relationship been with, with, with music as a result of sort of being exposed to what you've seen? Well, me, I'm, I'm you know, I have a positive you know, attitude about the music business. And I feel, I still, I enjoy playing music. And I enjoy being in the studio. And I enjoy writing songs. You know, I know there's like some still politics going on, you know, when you deal with certain people, but I enjoy the music business. So it didn't really jade me or anything, but I saw what was happening to some of the older guys. I never really forgot it. Like I saw what happened to Chuck Berry or Bo Diddley, or I would see some, you know, stuff happening to my grandfather where, you know, the Rolling Stones got to be, they would be happy to meet him and they were, they were totally respecting him and everything, but he couldn't understand how did their version of Blue Red Rooster or I just want to make love to you get so famous and there's it. And he just didn't understand. He took it personal sometimes, even though he was happy that they made the blues famous he, did, he couldn't understand how they didn't want to hear the Hollywood version. I, I hear you, man. I was talking with um, uh, you know, Venice Thomas, who's Rufus Thomas's uh, mm-hmm. uh, daughter, and we're having a conversation. And, and, you know, it's as if there are two blues businesses. You know, they're, they're sort of yeah. the, the the full scope. I, I was liking it to like you know what's on the tip of the iceberg and what's below the iceberg. You know, and what gets yeah, to the tip yeah, exactly. are, are largely white artists. You know, who are doing yeah. a, a rockish thing of blues, yeah. and yeah. and for most people, they consider that the blues. And then underneath, there's this huge iceberg of all this other stuff that, that yeah. never gets above the water. Yeah, you're right. It's it's just, it's so many blues musicians that just never got that opportunity. And you know, when you're in the music, you have to have some kind of funding to get your stuff out there. You have to have some kind of connections to get on the radio. It's like you know, it's very crazy when you're trying to get through the waters of getting your your music out there and getting the right public. It's just a lot of things you have to oh, do. Yeah. And a lot of people don't really know that they just know how to put their music out. And they're hoping that somebody likes it. Yeah. The game has changed so much now where you can't even do that. You have to have some kind of a end to get it out there. And you got to have a hustle. I mean, yeah, you just uh-huh. have to hustle like all the time. I mean, like, like your grandfather yeah. throwing the base on top of the you know, car and just driving yeah. off. I mean, that's hustle, right? I remember him telling me that story. He's like, we're driving to New York. The base is on top of the car. The car breaks down. And one, we happened to be in Cleveland, you know, and then uh, I guess a, it was a guy named Robert Jr. Lockwood, oh, yeah. one of his friends, gave him money to get to New York to get a tire. They had no money even to fix a tire. And I'm like, you just happened to be in Cleveland and got lucky to meet your, you know, Robert Jr. Lockwood. He's like, it's a crazy story. And then they got there and they were, they found some guy to record him. And literally he's like recording his other songs that like are 
you know, kind of famous. And then he's like, the guy's asking for more songs. They didn't have any more songs. So he's like re-engineering his old, the same song again. <laughs> it's crazy what he was doing to get his music out there. But, but I, but I, I look at that and I think to myself, you know, uh, I was blessed to be able to see that. I'm, I'm really happy. I know his work ethic. So when I talk to some of my friends and they, they see our music and I'm like, listen, it's a process to get everything out. You know, you have to go out there and they say, we put an album out and it was in the middle of COVID. I'm like, all our gigs had canceled. Yeah, so just us. relax. Next time, next year, it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. And they're like, oh, okay. They get worried very easy though. Some of my friends. I hear you. You got to love the work. I mean, it's funny. in hearing what you say about your grandfather and, and that sort of, you know, that, that distance between what public perception is and what reality is. And as an artist, I mean, you, you just got to love the work because it's all you've got. At the end of the day, it's just the basically. That's what it is. If you don't dig the work, then there's no sense in doing it because the promise of anything else is completely yeah. chance. <laughs> you never know. I mean, you never know because, like, you never know what would have happened when he went over to England initially, and they did this whole like American Folk Blues Festival. That was uh, just trying to get their blues because America wasn't accepting them. Yeah. So they had no clue that they were going to go over to England and have a bunch of British artists listening to their music and coming back to America doing the stuff. That's beautiful. I mean, they had no clue about that. That was like a whole another scene, the British invasion. They had no clue it was going to happen. Yeah. Because literally, they told them that all the best blues guys were dead. <laughs> like the big blues. Then you know all the they told they told my grandfather Muddy Waters, Holland Wolf, and all those guys. All the best blues guys are already dead. Yeah. All the, you know, Robert Johnson and Charlie Patton, they're already gone. So they're like, you got to just like, you know, it's over. The scene's over. <laughs> it's crazy, man. <laughs> well, that's the point, right? You got to be prepared for anything to happen, right? Because, you know, you just never know when luck will come. Because you might to tell the Muddy Waters, the scene's over. You're finished. <laughs> like, all the blues is finished. <laughs> tell my friend Helen <laughs> Wolf that. Tell my friend. Yeah, Wolf that. That. Tell my friend. Helen Wolf, Wolf was his like, his kind of his alter ego. You love that guy. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When I think of all the, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of covers, you know, of, of your grandfather's yeah. songs, to, to me, yeah. Wolf, and I, I cover a couple of your father's songs in this album we're doing. We did yeah. I'm Ready and we, and we do Spoonful. Um, oh, and I just get it. Spoonful's like, our bread and butter. Oh, my, that's like, that's like one of the first songs I ever learned. But without Hoochie Coochie Man, it would never have been any songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I take that back. We did Hoochie Coochie also. Right? But, um, without Hoochie Coochie Man, though, it wouldn't have been no Spoonful. Because? Because Muddy Waters is basically the guy that kind of like put him on the map as a songwriter. Yeah, no. Because he was in a band before called the Big Three Trio and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And they were doing like kind of jump blues. And his band was like turning down all those songs. He, he already wrote them. And they were like, Spoonful, this is stupid. Who, who's your man? This is dumb. I'm like, we're not going to do that song. So all the songs that he wrote already, Wayne Dane Doodle, he wrote all those songs, I Superstitious, and they didn't want to hear it. Wow. They, wanted, they didn't want to play those songs. And he, literally like went inside of a club called the 708 club in Chicago yeah. and taught Muddy Waters how to sing the song backstage. And he sang it on stage then after intermission. Unbelievable. That's the persistence. That's the work ethic. And, and he told, and he, and he told him, he says, the beat is so easy. You can't miss it. And he made it up. Like he just went on the spot and he says, you can't mess this up. And he went on stage and, and with his band, they like worked it out in like two seconds and sang it right there on the spot. And that set all in motion. Yeah, that's not. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, Leonard Chess and the Chess fit like, hey, can you write another one? Right. He's like, oh, I can do, I just want to make love to you. Because it sounds the same way, same kind mm -hmm. of music pattern. He's like, and do another one. I'm ready. And then, and then you know, and then he calls him up and he says, 
Leonard Chess calls my grandfather up and says, I got a guy from Memphis coming down and he likes Charlie Patton. He says, okay, I'll write the Spoonful songs would be perfect for him. Because Charlie Patton wrote a song like Spoonful. And that was the wolf, the guy coming up from Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. He, he would have picked him up from the bus and he's like, hey, uh, I got a song that's going to be perfect for you. Since you like Charlie Patton. That's amazing. Cause, cause, I mean, obviously Muddy is sort of, you know, I guess maybe most closely associated with, you know, covering your, your granddad's songs. But for yeah. me hearing like Wolf, like embodied them in a way that no one else embodied them. He's the one that inspired me. I liked, I, I never met him before. I got to see Muddy Waters when I was a kid. But when I, when I first ho- heard Holland Wolf, I was like, oh, that's, that's something different. Yeah, the- I love Muddy too, but I always have this kind of a special thing for it's a sinister thing, man. The sinister, I mean, he just yeah, it, it's 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 really awesome. It's dark. And you saw like even though like they tried to do like the whole like weird version of Ancalic Records, the movie it was it was an okay version, but some of the stories were not totally correct. But look who stood out the most, Holland Wolf was like still the main character in this because his voice and amazing character, amazing character. How tough he was too. I mean, it's like a so I and he was he was he would say that Holland Wolf was my alter ego. Like that's the kind of guy he could see. His son's going through that guy. Wow. So Will, Willie would say that that Wolf's his alter ego. Would he would he write stuff? It's, I I I've I've referred to Willie as the George Gershwin of blues. I, I think in, in the same way that you have you know Gershwin in, in in Berlin and that sort of like Brill building kind of thing in New York where people are like you know writing songs to order. I, I really yeah. envision like Willie Dix as being the Chicago blues version of that same thing where people are like, we need a song by this, we need a song by this, we need a song for this guy. When, did he see himself as sort of a... Colin Wolf was more of, more of where he came from and Muddy Waters was like the ladies' man. That's why all the songs he wrote is about, you know, I'm ready, you know, uh, I just want to make love to you, you know, hoochie-coochie man, you know, stuff like about sex, yep. you know, same thing, kind of like sexy things. He was trying to... But Holland Wolf was like, well, from his his part. Plus, he liked Charlie Patton too. So interesting. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, so, I want to talk about your like like your music and and, and your own yeah. music and relationship with your grandfather. I I'm interested in how people handle you know legacy. You know, like I I have I have a little bit of a legacy thing with my own father. That's you know a, a, a different kind of level. I was talking to Zakia about this, but you know, it, it could be a burden at times as well as it can open up doors. You know, and, and I know in yeah. my own life, I've gone through periods where I've sort of wanted to like distance myself as much as possible from my family, yeah. you know, history. And there's other times where I've really embraced it. And there's been times where I felt like I owe it to my family and to the world to make sure that, you know, parts of my father's story stay alive. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and I'm wondering yeah. sort of, I thought particularly with vintage your vintage Dixon project, which I really love. Thank you. All your albums, it's sort of like my, my my that one really just popped for me, and I and I just wonder what has been your sort of own journey and sort of carrying this name and this relationship and and how how do you live with it? You know, on a good day or on a bad day, or, or maybe there's no bad days. Well, you know, for me, like I said, I'm I'm a grandson that was raised as a son, so you got to realize that I'm like one of the. I'm like one of those guys that actually played with them. So there's pictures of us playing. We played We played on stage together. We did the touring and everything. And it was like, nothing could be more frightening than a piano sitting in front of you in a, in a microphone. And, you know, and he's like, I can't, I can't sing today. I might vote my throat. You know, I can't sing. I got a cold. Sing all the, sing all the songs today. And I'm like 12 years old. So I figured, you know, okay, I got to wow. sing all the songs at the Chicago Blues Fest for you because you can't sing because the air conditioner was on last night. Crash course. So when I look at, you know, when people ask me, like, is the pressure, 
I'm looking like, you know, I'm not really, I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of pressure about it. I just try to do the best I can. I don't want to embarrass the old man. You know, I try to do some kind of like great, I'm kind of a, in a studio, I try to be as perfect as possible, but not too perfect because yeah. I don't want it to sound like it's too overproduced. I want to get kind of a feel, but at the same time, um, you know, you get, sometimes you get jealousy. People think, people say crazy stuff to me, like, you know, you got to have millions of dollars from Led Zeppelin. And I'm like, it's not totally, not true at all. We never got that, that money from Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? The money we get, we sued them, but it was like pennies on a dollar what we got for a whole lot of love. And so I, so you, it's like misconceptions about what the Dixon family really has. Yeah, I get the same thing. Like when we talk about, like they say the chess family in the building, there people don't realize that the studio is going to get tore down in Chicago and we bought it for like $40,000. A lot of money, but not for a building. Yeah, no doubt. You know what I mean? And so it was like, it's not like people think we own chess records. And it's like, no, chess records was sold before we even got to that building, it was sold to MCA years ago. Yep. <laughs> so, and we don't own the masters to those songs. We just have the publishing and the writer's royalties. Right. It's still a feat, man. You know how big it is to own the masters? It's oh, a whole yeah. different ballgame. Yep, for sure. So, I mean, so you have a lot, you have, you have a jealousy part. They send things like, oh, he doesn't really need to play blues because he has something from his family. And it's like, yeah. so you have that kind of a, that's the only thing that I don't like. Because the people don't realize that the Dixon family, we're from the south side of Chicago, families from Mississippi. We just got some songs that we he wrote and we uh, we kept them. And we're pretty, we're not like this, you know, yeah, you're, you're tycoon making, family. You're making it through like everybody else, man. Just yeah, we just we got some songs that you can recognize, but they're not like, you know, we're not nearly as wealthy as maybe the rock stars that recorded the songs. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, that's the only thing that I try to kind of like limit. But then sometimes when they do like a review or something like that, then it's like Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stone and all this stuff. And they're talking about me. And then people get very like, oh, he's out. He's so wealthy. He's just playing blues for fun. I was doing it before. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's funny because I, I had that same hang up. When I, when I first started playing blues, I was self-conscious because I didn't come from a typical blues background. I didn't grow up in the South yeah. or Chicago. And, you know, my yeah. father's a bit of a celebrity and, so I, I sort of felt like I, I had to work extra hard to prove that I was serious about this. And I had, and my heart yeah. was in the right place. And that's kind of how it is. That's how it is. And, and, and I hear the same thing in you, but yet you are like the grandson of like the preeminent bluesman. And it's still. You gotta work it, but, but all that doesn't make you work harder. Yeah. Yeah. Because when, when they put, when I put my music out, it's like, they're just talking about everything that he's done for the last 50 years. And like, I have all the advantages. And you know, he would tell me that too. He says, if you once you get older, you should be way better than me because I gave you all the advantages. Amen. Got to go to great schools at Burbank and finish college. You know, I he had a third grade education. Wow. So and he wrote, he says, so you should write better songs than me. So and that's what I and that's what I go with my head. Like if I'm if I get better than him or something happens, and he would say, of course you're supposed to get better than me. Yeah. That's what I set it up for. I think it's so beautiful. I mean, beyond what he left you in terms of you know, a catalog of music or, you know, an, an annuity or whatever that, you know, the, the, the road experience, just that so much in, in black family so much of the black family story is about abandonment, you know, is, 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 yeah. is, is, is about, you know, black men leaving children behind. And, the, and I'm, about yeah. to, I'm about to tear up, but you know, the, the fact that your grandfather, like he, he, he raised you. <laughs> you know oh, yeah. I mean? 
he, he stood up. He stood up to raise you. Yeah, he stood up. That's why I call him my dad. People always say that's your grandfather. My it's my dad. It's the guy I was calling my dad. I had him in the house with me every day, hanging out with him. So that's what that's what I that's my dad to me. That's beautiful, man. And I had a I had a great life with him, you know. And we were playing our music and. I always tell people the least I could do is honor him and place put some decent music out. Yeah, he, he, you know, he that, and that embarrass him. So that's kind of what I that's that's kind of what I do. I want to ask you one question. Yeah, man, of course. I don't know if this is accurate. I saw, I, so I didn't really, I heard about you before. I saw you on the same like charts, the blues charts, and everything. Mm-hmm. Is your dad famous, Amos? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love those pictures. <laughs> It is now, awesome. See, I'm impressed with that. I'm impressed with that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's, that's awesome. I didn't even think that. I didn't think that until like I just happened to like I told my wife, Melissa, I was like, well, let me look up, you know, see what, what this guy's about. Who's this crackpot want to talk to me? <laughs> because you know why? Because I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know. And then I heard your music and I'm like, oh, I, I know who he is. <laughs> but then I didn't know at first because. A lot of times when you're writing songs, you don't listen to other people's music at all. Oh yeah, I'm like I, I get that. So I'm like same way. I don't listen to anybody's music except for like when I'm trying to do for my sure. own thing. For sure. So then I was listening to it, and then uh, then I saw that I'm thinking like, wait a minute, because I like I like famous names. So that's pretty awesome legacy. And I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm part of, part we used to lie. We used to lie when we were younger about being related to the Dixon Pencil Company because we didn't have any like you know the Dixon pencils. Yeah. <laughs> We used to lie, and that was our family because we didn't. Nobody was talking about blues in, our, in Chicago. Wow, that's funny, man. I, I I hear you, man. I mean, there's times my middle name is Ellis, and I there's times I would just go by Sean Ellis. I wouldn't even use my last name because I just didn't. Really? I didn't want to deal with the hassle, you know. And and uh, or, or there, it, that's pretty. Well, you should be proud of that. But I mean, no, I am. That's now, a man. black business. That's awesome yeah. to be proud about. Absolutely, so, absolutely. So I mean, that's pretty awesome. I just wanted to get that out there because no, I was like, "Thank you, brother." Because really you know, Wikipedia sometimes you never, you never know. <laughs> I'm also happy that you heard about me like before you heard about that part. But you know, this is one reason I want I wanted to have these conversations. It's one reason why I did the album because you know, this album's it's all covers of like your dad and, and some muddy tunes yeah. and some little Walter tunes and you know whatever. Yeah, cool, and, and part of it's I've been trying to just. You know, part of the blues for me has been this figuring out my own history, you know, and, and, and sort of how yeah. I define myself as a, as a, as a black man. And, yeah. and, and then having these, and these songs have really like helped me I and mean, they, they helped define me. They helped me get sort of develop a code of conduct in a way. And yeah. I'm so grateful to the blues for that. And then when I did the album, like, well, I want to talk to as many of these, you know, people's children as I can because it's a similar journey. I mean, I'm not a musician's son, but you know, it 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 is a it is a blessing and a burden, you know, to varying degrees when you are, you know, the son or the grandson of someone yeah. who's had this who holds this place in in black society, much less broader yeah. society. And, and I just it and is. I always it's a club in a way, you know, and I, I just feel like you know, to to meet people like you and to talk to Zakia and to sort of like it feels like a support group. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, all, we're all connected because like, I know Mud Morganfield, which is Muddy Waters uh, yeah, oldest kid. And I'm doing like some producing for his project in a couple of months. And, and I, and he always asked me like, you know, what could, what I, I offered you? I'm like, dude, your dad is the reason why I'm producing anyway. Yeah. So just relax. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Or like, you know, Johnny Hooker, like I told you, he was, we had no gigs in California. We moved to California. Johnny Hooker was like open for us, Dixon with Robert Cray. Beautiful. So that's why we had no gigs. Yeah. You help your, so, you help your uh, own. I mean, 
And when I got in trouble, I, you know, I, I ain't trouble, but I was like, I remember coming up here to go to, to look at some colleges. I went to Jelly Hooker's house. Wow. So I know Jelly Hooker very well. And, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just interesting to see. It's all like, you know. Little Alex knocking on the door saying, door, Mr. Hooker, yeah. I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, we got some crazy stories. Like, if I see you in person, I'll tell you some crazy I stories about Jelly Hooker. Bet, bet, bet. <laughs> that guy is a. Uh, He's something else, but you know, he was a rock star. Yeah, no, he was a big he was a rock star and he was a he did some very amazing stuff that I saw him do. Not only did he help my grandfather get some, you know, get his music back on track and do some touring and everything with his band, but he did he he took money out of his own pocket to help like Robert Cray sometimes wow. open for him, you know. And I saw him do, you know, I saw him helping Robert Cray out, and I'm looking like that's what I. That's what I think we're missing. Like, cause, cause I remember when I was younger, I saw these old guys kind of like make sure the young guys weren't getting messed with too much yeah. by certain people, and we don't have the mentors anymore. I agree. Like, I can call Robert Cray right now and ask him a question and ask him some. And he's very cool, and, and we're very close. We, uh, I can call him up and say, "Hey, I need some help with some things," or when you go to record next time, let me go in the studio with you so I can see how I can mix this next album. But it's not. I told him, I said, "You're like the last one we can really call." I mean, we could call Buddy a little. He's, he's older, yeah. but not many guys we can call. All the guys are gone. That a lot of older guys are gone. Yeah, and I think even beyond that, there's a thing within our culture where you know we we don't hold each other up enough. You know, we we sort of yeah. we sort of pit one against the other. Uh, That's always been like that. I don't I don't know why that is, but it's kind of funny you mentioned that because it's similar to like. So I have a daughter right now. She's 14. She plays softball. Yeah. Right. This is kind of but. You know, and they have a team, and they're pretty awesome. But her coach kind of pits the two black girls against each other. Oh wow! And I totally went. I totally squashed it. I was like, "You guys stick together. Absolutely. Don't let don't let them make it where y'all got it. Was only one spot for one of you guys. Yeah. You make it. You make it where you guys can both make Amen. it. And that's the kind of thing that I, you know, I I learned from my grandfather. He would try to help as much as possible, and like let guys know that there's a, a, a thing called publishing. They didn't even know what that was. Mm -hmm. I, I even right now when I talk to some blues artists, I have to explain to him them that your publishing company is not BMI. <laughs> right, wow. And they think that's their publishing yeah. company. And I'm like, that's your performance money. That's different. Yeah. Different whole agency. different kind of a yeah. stream. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, that's not your. So yep, I try to tell them the some things that I've learned. You know, I was they. I mean, I was up there at Bug recording everything in my head. Like I want to see what I didn't know because I didn't know a lot of the stuff, and I had to learn. A lot of things about the music business yeah. because you know. Well, it seems like that's what it comes from. You know, you talk about like your, like your grandfather didn't have the bitterness you know that existed amongst a lot of his peers, and and thank God for you, you know, that he didn't have that because it, it, it's sort of like to be able to on one hand balance to be smart about your business and keep an eye on it while at the same time maintaining a generosity of spirit. And, 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 and he was a nice person. He didn't have the bitterness. I mean. Like I saw, Bo Diddley was was upset. Oh, yeah, he's famously better. <laughs> he was cool though with me and everybody else. You know, anybody and if it's like certain circles. Sure. But he was very, you know, he he thought he got screwed. Because I mean, I remember one time we were. It was a a movie called La Bamba. That came oh yeah, out. sure. The, the Richie Valens story. So my grandfather was. We were there, and uh, he had to produce this track. Who do you love? And they gave him a bunch of gold records and platinum records for it. He goes and talks to, you know, Bo Diddley. Bo Diddley says, I sold the song. 
I don't even own that song anymore. They didn't even call me for it. And he was like, I didn't know that. And, you know, and he was just like, then he went off on this tangent about how, he, you know, it was bad. And I was just, it, it was sad to see, because that's where I was asking my grandfather, like, can you actually sell your song? And he was like, you can sell it. You can get rid of it. I'm sure they can find a way to get you get, get rid of your song. Yeah, they'll, they'll be happy to. That's the first person I ever heard sold their stuff. Oh, yeah. They sold the song. And he, the man and with the white I glove just, will come around and uh, you know, sell it. You know, yeah. Sell it. <laughs> well, you want to sell it. He was just trying to go after the publishing, though. Yeah. Yeah. But that, but at the time, we were so we were like almost stupidly honored about that. Yeah. Like, oh, he wants, we must have something if he wants to buy it from us. <laughs> Lucky us. <laughs> yeah. Lucky us. We, got we would have been off by uh, kicking ourselves in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> but we thought it must be something if he wants to buy your stuff. Yeah. So well, where, where do you so, where do you yeah. see? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna let you go in, in, a, in a second. But where, where do you see your grandfather sort of living on? Like, what do you see his sort of his 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 spirit and his legacy sort of out there in the world today? Where do you get reminded? Um, the importance of writing your own songs. The importance of uh, learn, learning the business. You know. You can look him up and you can see some of the songs he wrote and the people that record them. And just, I mean, it's important for people to learn. I always tell people all the time that I like to write my songs. I do sing, but I have people singing sometimes on my own projects too. But everybody I work with, I always tell them, we got to write a song together and you got to write, you got to get some songwriting credits with this whole album because I don't believe in people just coming in and, you know, for, for, and just not writing any songs. You got to keep them. I want people to learn how to make money in this business, and you can't do it as a performer. Yep. You got to be a, a songwriter, and you got to be. You got to have your publishing company straight, and you got to try to. If you can own some of your masters, you know how hard that is. Yep. But if you can do it yourself, then you can own your masters. But I always tell the guys, even when on my last project, I said everybody got to write some songs on here. Good for you. So there's nobody on my project that's not going to write any songs. Nobody, nobody's gonna, you know, just come in as a session guy. You know, most of well, people came as session guys before, but most people are going to be writing the songs yeah, good from the beginning. Yeah. I had one guy come in that had to replace some other stuff, <laughs> but I had to get I had to get some guitar off of some track. And I'm like that's not going to work. <laughs> But for the most, but I told even him, I told him, I said, hey, you know, next project, we'll get a couple songs on there. So I think his legacy is going to be like, legacy is going to be pretty much, you know, writing your songs, putting your business, and just don't get too upset about things yeah, like that. Keep your heart what open. happens? God, yeah. Like you said, like you said, you, all you have is your music. That's it, man. That's it. All you have is your music at the end of the day, and you know. I remember he would say things to me that would crack me up, like, you know, could we talk about like bad reviews and everything? And he would be just like, as long as they're talking about me, I don't care. Yeah. He would let, he'll let it run. <laughs> they, they, literally, they literally told him in a review one time to Willie Dixon stop singing your own songs. Oh, damn. <laughs> cool. it was like a review like, stop singing your own songs. Let money sing them. None. <laughs> and he was like, whatever. Yeah. He didn't care about that stuff. And he didn't, he didn't care about good review or bad review. He was just like, I'm trying to get my music out and see what happens. Boy. So I learned that from him. And I tell guys all the time, don't get so excited. They say that this music is the best in the world. And don't be pissed off if they say you suck. Just do your thing. He, uh, he had his head screwed on straight. He, he screwed your head on straight for sure. Yeah, man. Try just trying to for sure. Yeah, definitely. What do you got going on uh, as, as this COVID starts lifting? You got, you got plans to get back out there? Well, I got some projects coming out with, like I said, with Mud Morganfield, which is Muddy Waters' oldest kid. I'm doing my other Benedictine album, oh, another like 
acoustic set. And that? then uh, after that, I might just be doing just just doing some more music. I, I got I had a whole I had a whole album really in the can ready to go when COVID hit. So yeah. we're gonna be pretty much doing something probably twenty two. Well, I, I have we get to play together album. one day and see each other. Uh, yeah. and, and, so you play harp, right? I play harp. Yeah. yeah. Do you know Sugar Blue? I don't know Sugar Blue. Who's that? Have you heard of him? No. Sugar Blue. No. He's like a harmonica player on one of my products. He played with the Rolling Stones. He's like uh, that that harmonica, you know, uh, missing you. Oh damn! That's him. Nice. He, yeah, he's a, a blues player, been around forever. You look him up. Wow, I know why he's got by me. That's why I, I pride myself on being pretty up to speed on a, on a. Yeah, Sugar Blues, and then you know, you ever heard of Carrie Bell? Yeah. Yep. So I had a son on the project nice. played harmonica, but Sugar Blues on the project too. So he's he's on my project. He's a phenomenal harmonica player. But yeah, he uh, he he's famous because he played with the Stones. Gotcha. Back in the '80s, then he did his own thing. So he's he's pretty awesome. But yeah, come on out. Oh, yeah. I'm always looking for some harmonica players. Right Definitely, uh, I'll get you know the numbers and the address and everything. Yeah, please. We'll hang out. And like I said, I like your rendition of uh, "I'm Ready." I'm honored. Thank I you. I thought that was cool. I, the voice the voice you have is is unique. You're gonna do you're gonna do well. Cool. Well, you're doing well already. But thanks, man. I like that. Thank you, brother. All right, big hug to you, man. Lots of love. All right, you too, man. Talk to you soon. Do that. Thank you, Alex. Thank you to his wife, Melissa. And thanks to all of you for listening. We got more episodes of The Cause of It All up on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get podcasts. The album, The Cause of It All, out May 21st, covers Willie Dixon as well as Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf and Little Walter. Hope you dig the, the covers and our contribution to keeping this great American music form alive and, and moving forward. See you soon. Keep the faith. Yeah,